Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Well, I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving, Wendy. Thanks. I had a great Thanksgiving. How about you, Mike? Uh, same old, same old. Ate too much, drank too much, felt a little sick, uh, watched a bunch of movies, and slept a lot. The American way. Yes, I, I lived the American dream this weekend. <laughs> also, uh, was watching a bunch of superhero stuff. Fun. Did you do any Black Friday shopping? Just online. Okay. I haven't actually ever gone to a, a Black Friday sale, I think. Like you didn't feel like muscling anyone out for no. bargains? No, no bargains <laughs> for me on Black Friday. I just everything you can find on the internet. And like to me, if I could save an extra 20 bucks by going to the store and waiting in line, I wouldn't do it because it wouldn't be worth the money to me. I see. Sure. Did you go on any Black Friday? Did you like sit in Walmart for three hours? No, I didn't. It wasn't anything I was really interested in this year. If there's something that I'm looking for and it's an exceptional deal, mm-hmm. I'll do it because... I, I get your argument about it not being worth the, the time, but sometimes it's kind of fun to be out there oh, in the sure. excitement of it all. Uh, except for when people are trampling you. So Right. Except when it's <laughs> the just disgusting, like, disgusting humanity. It always gets violent in somewhere in the country and somebody gets like shot <laughs> over. Uh, it makes you so ashamed to be human. Over a cheap big screen TV. Well, the funny yeah. part is, is that I thought that they originally called it Black Friday as a negative thing. Like it was, yeah. called, it was called Black Friday because it's like, oh, look at the encroaching commercialism of Christmas shopping is already happening, you know, within hours of Thanksgiving dinner ending is, you know, people start waiting in line at midnight on Friday and they can't even wait through the, you know, through the Thanksgiving weekend. And I thought that Black Friday was a negative thing. And now they've turned it into like this thing like Black Friday. All right, let's save money. Well, no, but it it's called Black Friday because a lot of the stores are running in the red and accounting until that big weekend right be- right after Thanksgiving when everybody's out Christmas shopping. So oh. it gets that's supposedly like the turning point where retail companies get are, into the black out of the red. And no, I didn't know that. I really thought it was supposed to be something negative that they called it Black Friday <laughs> because it was because it was like the title of a horror movie. Because you know, Black Friday. Well, it does work given the things that have gone down on Black Fridays of past. So I mean it yeah. And and also now it's not even just Friday. It's like Thanksgiving Day, or in some cases even before. Sure. It's like here, spend your entire holiday standing out, like camping out in the cold. Well, like you said, some people really think it's fun. Yeah. No, and so. totally. And I, I recognize the fact that not everybody celebrates Thanksgiving. Not everybody's really into it, and some or people cares. just would rather do that. So yeah, like that's the, great for them. And like bars are still open on Thanksgiving, and I most of the time I'd rather <laughs> be there anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I bet they do a lot of business too. But uh, no, I I just did the stuff online. But I did do online shopping for Black Friday. I bought like a new hard drive and a, you know whatever it was that I could oh, save some money. Fun. I bought like new colored lights for the house and stuff. So cool. Um, and today's Cyber Monday. It which is kind of sounds kinky. <laughs> Ooh, what a Cyber Monday! That's it does sound That's, like a dirty thing. But that is my favorite because I just all the emails keep coming in with more and more discounts and bargains, mm-hmm. and I have to contemplate all the different offers anyway shopping 
it's fun. It's that time of year. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. And the thing is, you know, everybody always has like a negative. They're like, oh, shopping, consumerism is horrible. Well, sometimes it's fun. And if you take your joy from it, please hope you enjoyed Black Friday. And, <laughs> and if you wait in line, just because I don't think it's fun does not mean that you were not entitled to think it's fun. And like some people love, yeah. like some people hate casinos. Because right. it's sad. People are in the throes of gambling addiction. People and are they're too, smoky. Yeah, people are too intoxicated. I love them. <laughs> I love. I mean, some people hate malls because they're like they're crowded and everybody's just loud and complaining. And 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 I love malls because look at all those people doing something they like and look at all the life and the fun. So I love people having fun, even if a lot of people, other people hate it. I do too. And I mean, I just want to remind everybody that if you did do your shopping this week. And you need our address to send us our gifts. Just send a tweet to Other Side Talk or to Sunspot Wendy or Sunspot Mike, and we'll yeah. we'll give you the address. We'll send you the address <laughs> with which you can send your Black Friday shopping gifts. Anything that you, like if you had a deal, you're like, oh, I, I don't know what to do with it. Send it to us. The spoils, and we'll shout it out on the air. We'll review the product on the air. Uh, anyway. So, uh, no, that shopping stuff is fun. And I can't wait till we have some kind of paranormal experiences on Black Friday, like ghosts show up or, or like ghost shoppers. Ooh. Or people are so traumatized by something that like spirits are seen waiting in line the day after Thanksgiving <laughs> at like maybe when Walmarts get to be 70 years old or something like that. The negative energy from that mm-hmm. day just returns each year. I did. That could well, be a thing, Mike. I remember one year after Thanksgiving, uh, I had to drive somewhere. And I needed to get some stuff. I'm like, oh, Walmart, let's go to Walmart and get it. And so I'm oh, not no. even not even thinking. My You know, I'm just like, I'm just like, oh, I gotta get this stuff. And I run in and I'm like, oh, this is a horrible idea. <laughs> Whoa. I mean yeah. and then it, it like dawned on me. It's just one of those things, like you don't even know what day it is. You're like, whatever. Yeah. And so you run in, I'm like, just gonna take me two minutes. It took me an hour to get through yeah, you know, something that should have taken me two minutes. Unpleasant. Anyway, we thought we'd talk about today is a topic we've only we only talked about superheroes a couple of times on the show. And mostly it's been in the context of like real life superheroes because we've talked about the the masked vigilantes or, the, you know, the, the costumed adventurers uh, in, in the real cities from you know Milwaukee to Seattle. Our, our, our friend T. Krulos wrote a book on the real life superheroes. And today we're actually talking about the the fictional ones. But, you know, the fictional ones actually even inspired a lot of different technology and creation and, you know, writing in the real world. And, and the reason I was thinking about realism and superheroes and stuff is probably because the, the new Punisher is out on Netflix. And so if you guys aren't familiar with, with the Punisher, he's, uh, he's not a character with superpowers except his anger. <laughs> and he's just out for vengeance. He's out for, yeah. he's out for vengeance of, of the criminals that killed his family. And so he's the judge, jury, and executioner and decides he decides if you've done the wrong thing and then he kills you. And it's a it's a great show. It's the Shane from The Walking Dead, John Bernthal plays the Punisher. He played the Punisher in the season two of Daredevil. And I was like, they gave him his own show and it's great. And I've always been a big fan of that character. But the thing is the 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 realism of that kind of vigilante is just that would never happen in real like this would be the idea that somebody walks in somewhere kills 20 people like in a gang or whatever walks out and you know people just die way too much in that show you know it's like yeah if, if this was happening people wouldn't leave their houses even, even though they say like new york city like even 1970s crime ridden death wish new york city is not 
you know, would not stand for a guy that just shot up 20, you know, 20 villains mm-hmm. left next day. He's going to kill 10 more. And, you know, he had the population. New York's dead by the end of the show. So but it made you think like, OK, now superheroes are the most popular thing in the world. They just had a new like Batman movie came out two weeks ago, the Justice League. And Batman was was a personal favorite when I was a child. <laughs> Wendy, who's a good one? Who was your favorite superhero when you were a child? Probably Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman? You like that you yeah. used to watch a show with Linda Carter running yeah. around? Yeah. I used to watch that too with a it like the sound effects whenever she'd do something. Yeah. <laughs> whenever she'd do something heroic. It, 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 like nineteen seventies in in the TV shows, they had something where they could put something in slow motion and a stupid sound effect over it and we'd right. just be like, Oh, awesome. I think about the the six million dollar man, ah uh, yeah, Lee majors, and you know there's this always like you know when he's supposed to go super fast and really he's going in a slow motion. And Wonder Woman was the same kind of thing. It had that I don't know, some sound effect they used in every kind of science fiction show from 1974 to yeah. 1982, like dig it, 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 like kind of thing that would go um, when you know she'd do something, she'd put up her bracelets. That could be right. The cuffs. Yeah, she so could put up the cuff, the bulletproof cuffs, and then and then the sound effect would come on, and Linda Carter but would do it. The other one we used to love watching was the Greatest American Hero. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Greatest American Hero was was a big one. I loved it when I was a kid. You know, it's funny we have a, we actually have a song and uh, in, in a demo that quotes the Greatest American Hero, and we'll have to develop that further on and put that in, in a podcast. Perfect. Sometime. Yes. Definitely, but that was a no. That was that was a great show. We had the song on the, um, not not a forty five, but like a like a thirty three, like you know the smaller records. Yeah, the greatest American here. Now that's an example of something that doesn't have to tie into any realism whatsoever, because in the greatest American hero, the suit was given to him by aliens. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that's and, so cool, though. Yeah, I know. But alien technology seeping into, you know, modern life. Right, and but the alien technology comes in. But the th- the thing in the show, to, if you guys missed it, and I heard they're making a reboot of the Greatest American Hero, and I hope Sweet. they do. Sweet. Um, William Cat's still alive, and he still looks pretty good. Uh, he's blonde, curly haired. You guys <laughs> might remember him. He's the lead in the first movie, House. House is a horror movie from the nineteen eighties. That's really good. He also is in Stephen King's Carrie, the original Carrie. Um, he's the guy that takes Carrie to prom. Oh man. So that's William Cat is the actor. He played the greatest American hero. So a big blonde curly guy. And he's partnered up with an FBI agent who's like a grumpy FBI agent. Robert called the guy who used to be an I spy with Bill Cosby. Because that's the, the requirement from the aliens is that he has to like work with this FBI agent. Because the FBI agent's old partner was the guy who was supposed to get the suit. Anyway, the aliens, <laughs> the aliens forget to give him an instruction manual. <laughs> So he doesn't know how to use it. So he's always flying into buildings. Oh, that's great. And, you know, I think the the one thing about that suit they gave him, and this is something that bothers me about a lot of different superhero stories, and we're going to get into more of this later, actually. But the one thing that bothered me is that there's always these new powers in the suit that he ends up finding that, like, change the ending of the story. Oh, yeah. It's just one of those things. It's It's cheating. From a storytelling device. It is cheating when you're like, oh, well, I didn't know the suit could do this. Hey, hey right. check this out. It's like waking up from a dream at the end of the episode. Yeah. Like, it was all a dream. Or Oh, thanks. Right. Because nothing has any kind of effect. And you always know that. <laughs> you always know 
if you see like a preview of your favorite show and then there's something that comes on and you're like totally shocked by it. I remember the X-Files would do it like all of a sudden Scully gives Mulder a kiss and you're like, what's going to happen that? Like, when is this going to happen? Well, it happens in a fantasy sequence. Right. You know, so then it doesn't affect anything in the show. And you're like, oh, come on. Like nothing <laughs> happened. Um, and people do that in shows all the time. But the thing about this is, okay, so you remember the old Batman and the Adam West, R.I.P. Adam West. He just died this year. Mm. He, he had a long, good life. And I mean, he made a, he made a lot of money off of Batman. Like, they, I mean, people are just like, he was still making Batman jokes in the 80s and the 90s, like making Batman jokes on Family Guy <laughs> in the 2000s. Like, he made that role go forever. And he never even worked out. You think how hard Hugh Jackman works out to be Wolverine. In oh, that. man. He only eats yeah. eight hours a day. Like between the hours of like noon and eight p.m., he only like when they said like he's finally retired from Wolverine. Like, well, yeah. what's the what's the best part about it? He's I'm like, I can finally eat something besides chicken breast. Yeah, but that's dangerous. Right. I mean, he's obviously <laughs> he's living a dangerous lifestyle. He does donuts this for, for fifteen years. You know, he's doing this for fifteen years, and you can see the difference too. Because in the first X Men, he they, he still has chest hair. Right, so he didn't completely shave his chest. Like now, his 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 chest is like a baby's bottom, and uh, he looks in shape. Yeah, but it's not like uh, he doesn't look like he's carved out of marble. Like you know, uh-huh. you know. And now you look at him, and it's like you can see it's a twelve pack. You know, he makes guys with six pack. <laughs> he makes guys with six packs. Like oh, like yeah, I should have I should have done more sit ups, Hugh. Um, right, but but Adam West never had to do that. You know what I mean? Like Adam no. wasn't eating. They chicken. came. The abs came with the uniform, <laughs> right? He wasn't eating chicken breasts. I mean, he probably was, but he was probably having ten of them. He wasn't running around shirtless either, though. So no, let's he was. Be fair here. I, I'm just saying, when you look at that old Batman, like people were into the. the and, and, well, this is an important thing too, as we discuss these genetic enhancements that these superheroes would have. As special effects have gotten better, we also expect the actors and the actresses to look. A certain way you know that you expect them to look absolutely perfect and the things that these guys have to do even if they are almost super heroic and the willpower it requires i mean they'll have a trainer where they're scheduling a, a movie shoot they will set this up like months and months in advance of like we're going to shoot this scene this day and this is when you will be the most pumped this yeah. is when your diet will reach a certain level this is when your training will reach a certain level and these are the days you'll be shooting shirtless and their diet and their exercise regimen and everything is like that. So they come out so Chris Evans can come out as Captain America and, uh, you know, and just you're like, oh, my God, that man is beautiful. <laughs> um, so I, I, some of these things these guys have to do, I mean, they really are like uh, yeah. bodybuilder type. You have to live a bodybuilder type lifestyle to get, achieve that look. Anyway, I mean, I, I think we're getting off the subject. The reason I w- we were going there is I, w- I want to talk about Adam West as Batman because there'd always be something in his utility belt that would be like stupidly perfect for whatever situation they'd be in. Yeah. You know, he'd be like, oh my God, uh, oh, mosquitoes everywhere. It's all right, Robin. I've got my bat mosquito spray. And it'll even say like bat mosquito like on it, like bat- mosquito bat spray. Bats eat mosquitoes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that was You should just chow down on those things. Good. Right. Adam West should have eaten real mosquitoes. And then he could have have said something to Hugh Jackman. Like, yeah, I had to eat mosquitoes. Like, this job sucks. Like, be glad you weren't around in the 60s, pal. Just be glad you aren't dog man. (laughs) 
<laughs> right, then you got to eat poop. Um, yeah, that's a tough day on set. Here you go, dog man. <laughs> oh, How God. will we get out of this giant toilet? <laughs> He's like, this, is, this isn't even in my contract. Christ. Oh, my goodness. Okay. But so that that's an example of a, a deus ex machina. And, you know, it's all of a sudden your outfit or you're completely prepared or, or your powers match what happens in the story. You know, so you are so super powered that um, you have an easy way out. You don't have to actually find a human right. solution to the problem because you just have this magical tool that's, that can solves it. it for you. Yeah, right. it's like it's like Superman not only can fly and has super strength <laughs> um, and has, it has X-ray vision and heat vision. In the original Superman, the movie, he turns back time like share on the deck of that <laughs> <laughs> immediately, of course. All of our minds go straight to share in the like leotard. Yeah. Okay. Hey, that that uh, video came out when I was thirteen years old. Of oh. course, I'm gonna oh. remember it. <laughs> and so, but it's a good in, one. in Superman the movie, he flies back and he turns the the clock back. He flies. He so finds fast. a way. He, right. He finds. <laughs> but the thing is, like, even I'm I'm maybe five years old when I saw Superman the movie for the first time. I think I had, my sister had a sleepover and. My parents had a VCR. We rented Superman the movie, and they let me watch it. They're like, "Oh yeah," but not that there was anything wrong with the movie for me to watch. But my sister's having a sleepover, and the whole family watches the movie with the pe- girls who are having the sleepover. If I was those girls who are having a sleepover, I'd be like, "Oh, what a drag!" We gotta hang out with the Hugerties, the little we, brother too, <laughs> right? And he's a precocious jerk. <laughs> um, but I, even I saw that. I'm like, "Come on." Like, that's an example of a deus ex machina. Like, all of a sudden, Superman is not only incredibly strong, he can also turn back time. He can reverse time. You know, one of the dimensions he has power over. Even I thought that was too much. Yeah. Like, because then what else can't he do? Like, every time something bad happens, he just... Like, I would do that every week. It's not even fun to watch because... The fun is seeing them be challenged by something really exactly. bad. Well, and that's a funny thing, too, is that when, when you think about that, like, what if he starts abusing that power? Like, he, <laughs> he walks into a party, he says a joke, and the joke doesn't work. He's like, oh, this is humiliating. Hold on. He comes back in with a new joke. And he's like, hey, right? Right, Lois? Huh? I'm hilarious. <sighs> So, you know, I can't handle deus ex machinas in TV shows and movies. And I think a lot of people are disappointed by that. And that's one problem when you're talking about a genre like this, which I just watched uh, Stan Lee talk about the science of his Marvel comics. And, and, you know, Stan Lee admits, he's like, I, he's like, I don't know anything about science. He's like, there's no more scientific, <laughs> a less scientific guy than me. But I knew if I, I said something that sounded scientific, kids would like it. He mentioned like the Hulk. He's like, okay, well, there's something called gamma rays, right? Well, we'll just bombard Hulk with gamma rays, and, and that's how he becomes a superhero. Seems believable. Yeah. He was mentioning Thor, how Thor could fly. He's like, well, Thor can't really fly, you know, because even, you know, the god sometimes can't fly. But if he can swing his hammer really fast, and then he just, you know. It's like a helicopter right, blades. He, almost. He throws, yeah. He's like swinging around like a helicopter, and then throws <laughs> the hammer, and then, he, you know, the hammer kind of leads him and flies around. And I'm like, oh, you, I mean, 
Right. Yeah, that's uh yeah. We're talking as adults in the 21st century about something that was written well, for I mean, and I know this Right, and we've been through science class and <laughs> right. physics. So, so it's Stan Lee. But he doesn't <laughs> care. I mean, but the kids that are reading the story, you know. Yeah. It's happened, ima- so. it's the imagination that excites them. <laughs> exactly. And the thing is like sometimes well, okay. So superhero stories really are a mixture of fantasy and science fiction. And even, you know, if you get to the, Mar- like Dracula exists in the Marvel universe. So like there's horror elements in there, like Dracula's there too. That's cool. Yeah. So all these kind of people exist in this, in this big superhero universe. And uh, it's a mixture of all those things. And so, okay. So is any of it even remotely possible in our universe? In the, Ooh, okay. This is exist? what we want to know. Do we want to know? Okay. Because you know what, Mike? We need a hero. Man, what a good <laughs> So many good hero songs. That is a good one. Jim Steinman, what a guy. So uh, let, we start with Iron Man. And the thing about Iron Man, he's got that exoskeleton. You know, the Iron Man suit, he just wears a big metal suit. And you're like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, High tech. Yeah. Do we have any big metal suits like that? Uh, no, <laughs> like basically, you know, you have some things you have, you have bulletproof kind of suits. Well, what about like astronaut suits when they do the extravehicular activity? Sure. I mean, there are, there are exoskeletons that people can use yeah. that, like big bulky things that they can use in construction and thing. And they like think about the big robots that are right. like big robot hands and things that people can use with yeah. joysticks. So that kind of stuff does exist. And we do have, uh, you know, prosthetics and things. But the kind of, I mean, Iron Man moves around. Like, yeah, he can fly in it. Right. It's not like, it's like, <laughs> you don't hear the hydraulics in Iron Man. It's like, it's all really smooth and looks good. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, when you see somebody really like this, <laughs> when you're watching a YouTube video and they're like, real Iron Man, you're like, yeah. And you're like, oh, no. Um, but the big thing is jetpacks. Pa- jet I mean, Iron Man can fly. Oh, so cool. Right. He can fly around the world. I mean, he flies into space in the Avengers. Um, right. Wouldn't it be awesome if we had jetpacks? There's even a band called We Were Promised Jetpacks. The Scottish band called We Were Promised Jetpacks. And I think it's true. Like, I was promised a jetpack and we still don't have it. <laughs> okay. True. There are, you know, I think the closest thing I've seen to a an actual, like, jetpack experience that s- something like you or I can probably get is the, have you seen the water jetpacks? Yeah. There was one, actually, I, I'll have to try to dig it up for the show notes. Mm-hmm. There's a photo of us playing at the Memorial Union Terrace here in Madison. And there was there's somebody behind us like in the lake. Oh yeah, <laughs> on one of those that. being propelled. Yeah. So I mean it, it, it picks up the water from, you know, and then flies them around and that works. I remember that moment because uh you were singing our song Square Root of All Evil mm-hmm. and you talk about a jetpack and I saw some in the audience like gesture over oh, behind yeah. us and it just made me laugh <laughs> and i forgot that song oh my own jetpack yeah so anyway yes i've seen those and they look really fun i've never tried one though have you no i i'm still i still gotta get to parasailing i still haven't tried parasailing but they do have okay so there is a jetpack uh, by a company called jetpack aviation and they say they've got the world's first real jetpack which means it's smaller it's personal you put it on, it's like a backpack, like a big backpack. Uh, and then you can you can fly around. Sweet. And so, I mean, 
a couple of years ago, they there was a video of their jetpack, the JB9, and that was the one that was flying around the Statue of Liberty. So they have a guy with a jetpack cool. flying around the Statue of Liberty. And That's that, terrifying. Yeah, it was a big. That was a big <laughs> YouTube video a couple of years ago of like, oh my god, somebody actually made a jetpack, <sighs> and it's capable of, of vertical takeoff and landing. So standing up, you fly up. And, you know, Sweet. and it actually works. It's not like, you know, I think of like a jetpack, like it's not like Super Dave or something like that where he gets the jetpack and immediately falls in the water. Like this actually works. And then the <laughs> JB10, they say, the one that's coming out or should be, you know, out soon, it can stay in the air for 10 minutes or more at a time and it can achieve speeds of 100 miles per hour. And it, they hope they, you can, like people can just start buying them soon. So it's not the kind of flying into space like Iron Man. But it is the being able to, you could probably get to the top of a building. Oh, man. Pretty quick. So you could jump. Is there a tether or something that you have to like be tethered for power? Or is that what kind of fuel does that thing use? Like rocket fuel. Battery? Battery pack? No, it's a rocket. Oh, okay. It's it's like a. (laughs) That's another thing. Actually, Iron Man, he's got to use rockets or whatever to fly. Yeah. Yeah, Where does he store the fuel? Where's the energy come from? Yeah. Like a hollow. Yeah. Like, like, we want know. answers, you know, and that's the thing, um, because it's not it's not real. But if it, is, it was real, you'd have to have rocket fuel. So with the JB-10 from Jetpack Aviation, uh, they have a little they've got a couple of fuel canisters and they have. So that's why you can only go for 10 minutes. You know, so how much fuel is like, yeah. and a battery pack like how? <laughs> How are they gonna fly? That's not a jetpack. That's like a that's, <laughs> that's a what we need helicopter. To, we need to add more weight when we're trying to lift, propel somebody up put a against gravity. Like we can't even, you know, how long do the, can the phones stay? You know, charge. We can do for flying. So anyway, so Iron Man kind of a bust. Not really gonna happen. Spider Man. Uh, well, what would really happen if you got bit by a, a radioactive spider? I hope I don't find out. Right. Uh, nothing. Because <laughs> the thing is, the spider is radioactive. Not his venom or anything. Well, but maybe he can produce some kind of if venom, he, you know. If he mutates and be... Right. Yeah. Well, it's not going to happen. Like, it's just... So, <laughs> so, so a radioactive spider... Because the thing is, you don't just pass, like, radiation on or whatever. Um it's like if you if you touch somebody who's got radiation poisoning, you do not get radiation poisoning too. So it's not like, you know, contagious. It's only his cells that have it. Right. Um, so the thing is, if you get bitten by a radioactive spider, probably nothing's going to happen. But it's not that if you actually could make like spider silk. or right, The thing is a Spider-Man doesn't actually, uh, his webs in, in, the, uh, in the movies in the, in the 2000 movies with uh who played toby Maguire when toby Maguire was spider-man and i thought he was a good spider-man but when toby Maguire was spider-man um he was able to shoot the the webs from his hands and it was create that was part of his powers okay. in, the, in the comic book he actually made web shooters and oh like web, mechanical yeah so they were mechanical web shooters weapons like, so peter peter parker is basically a 15 year old genius who made spider silk in addition to getting spider powers, All like right. being able to hang onto the buildings and like hanging out upside down and the spidey sense. We get, he's got that, 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 I guess spiders are psychic. Um, not, not any of the ones in my house are psychic. Cause then they'd know I'm coming for them when I come kill. Them. Well, they're psychic cause they 
They know when to sneak up on you to scare you the most. <laughs> they well, they also have eight eyes and they're always seeing. <gasps> okay. They're always seeing octuple. <laughs> yeah. but, but the thing is, spider silk is super strong. It's, you know, if you take to the, the size of a spider, mm-hmm. if we had spider silk that, that same kind of size, it would be like twice as strong as steel. Yeah. You know, so, and we've been using cobwebs and spider silk for, I mean, for millennia for things. The ancient Greeks used cobwebs to, to like bandage wounds. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Huh. So they, they would use cobwebs. I mean, I don't know how they, where they got the cobwebs from, but they would use spider silk to bandage wounds. They Probably a cave. Oh, yeah. They just run through the cave. If you're bleeding, <laughs> if you're bleeding run through the cave and you'll be all bandaged up. <laughs> the aborigines use silk as fishing lines for small fish. Oh, wow. That seems... Very dainty fish. Yeah, they used it as the crosshairs and optical tarting devices in guns in World War II. And um, now they're integrating it into Kevlar to make stronger bulletproof vests. Hmm. So spider silk, you know, we're saying, could Spider-Man really... Okay. He's going to have to be a genius to invent invent the sticky spider silk, you know, the, sure. the, the web yeah. shooters. But could he swing on a... If if he made stuff that like that, could if he had spider silk for humans, could he swing from building to building? Yeah, he could totally like use it as a rope because it'd be like a big steel rope, stronger yeah. than steel rope he would have. And the thing is, we still use spider silk in a bunch of different things. And the, but the thing is, you can't farm spiders. Like you can farm other kinds of silk. Why not? Because they're cannibals. When spiders get in the close proximity with each other, they'll just eat each other. Oh, God. <laughs> I knew you'd enjoy that. They get worse. They actually get worse. It would take Although that's kind of helpful for us, right? Yeah, because they won't, they'll be too busy eating each other to eat us. I mean, you, you max out on the number of spiders you can have in one place. So, okay. But, okay. But, the, I mean, the reason that we can't really do much more with it is that the silk produced is very fine. So, 400 spiders would be needed to produce one square yard of cloth. Wow. Right. That's a, that's a lot. crap ton of spiders. Yeah. And who's going to be the one who's like, yeah, I got to, I got to deal with 400 spiders. <laughs> right. That's not my Not job. me. You're not going to. Definitely not me. Nobody, like Wendy, you're not going to be the one. <laughs> nope. You know, something that the comic books use, and obviously they've used comic book, they've used this because it was such a big thing in the 1950s and 60s. We were just talking about it. The radioactive spider is the one that, you know, bit Spider-Man. But the idea of radiation, the idea mm-hmm. that like nuclear, ra- I mean, the X-Men used to be called the children of the atom, right? That this is causing these mutations, these mutants, these superpowers to, to start occurring because all the nuclear testing in the world, all the radiation that was happening um, was mutating the cells to where, I don't know, some people can teleport and storm can control the weather and Colossus can... Uh, turn his skin into metal and then, you know, be bulletproof and stuff like that. And, and so can radiation really do that to you? All right. Now somebody asked this question on Quora. Have you ever been on Quora? Yes, I have. Yeah. I enjoy Quora. Um, <laughs> sometimes I useful. Just, sometimes I just look up like what 14 year olds ask on Quora oh. because I just ask crazy questions and people will answer stupid things. Yeah. Um, but somebody writes in, can radiation really give humans mutant powers like in comics? Best answer? No. 
Radiation exposure does not give you superhuman mutant powers. Radiation exposure gives you radiation sickness. <laughs> and then he goes into this story. In 1999, Hiroshi Ochi was a 35-year-old scientist working in a nuclear facility outside of Tokyo. He was inadvertently exposed to massive amounts of the most powerful type of radiation in the form of neutron beams. His incredibly painful death was chronicled in a book, The Slow Death, 83 Days of Radiation Sickness. And it's just... Uh, his skin starts falling off. Oh, you know, no. his, his internal organs atrophy wither oh. away. His, because the thing is, that the radiation damages the cells and leaves them unable to replicate. So you can't heal. So if your skin could never re, uh, recreate itself, if your, if your skin cells could never reproduce, um, they would just fall off. And so it just, I mean, it is, it's graphic, it's horrible. Oh. In, in The Watchmen, uh, Dr. Manhattan g- gets this kind of, he's exposed to this radiation and then becomes like a godlike being mm. after it happens. Uh, in real life, uh, Dr. Manhattan becomes Dr. Poor Hiroshi Ochi, who dies 83 days after getting massive exposure yeah. to radiation and then there's a picture of this guy and i it's it's a horror movie in itself i mean that he lived for almost three months in such pain and i don't know if he agreed to do that for science or i don't know why but it's just yeah, you know, it's terrible right just miserable kind of thing so you're not going to get uh superpowers um by radiation like you know, like the hulk uh, Bruce Banner is exposed to gamma rays because mm-hmm. Stanley thought that's not a scientific. And in real life, the Hulk would just be dead. So, no, unfortunately, um, yeah, the real effects of radiation uh, are basically horrible. I mean, but the thing is, radiation can also kill your cells and work with them in in ways that are helpful like if it's directed as in uh cancer treatment chemotherapy radiation treatment and stuff when they put those together it's destructive force can be used to heal yeah at least so let's i mean it's radiation gets a bad name because it's a killer but right it's also we're trying to figure out ways to harness it but okay now that's not saying that somebody like captain america or the hulk uh Something couldn't happen. Actually, there's there's a Stanford scientist who is a huge fan of the Hulk, and he made a little video talking about well, what how could the Hulk really be real? And he's like, okay, first of all, his green color. He's like, well, imagine if you had an all over body bruise. He's like, then your you know your body could be discolored. Oh. And I'm like, okay, that's a bad start. <laughs> Because that's not what he looks like. No, he doesn't look like a walking bruise. <laughs> I'm watching this. He's like, well, I think that would take away a, a, from a bit of the toughness factor too. <laughs> what's the color? He's like, well, what's the color of your skin when you're bruised? And I'm like, ah, oh. oh man. Like, it's like, no, you have a bruise. Like he wouldn't be tearing it up like he is. <laughs> but his name is, uh, let me find it here, Sebastian Alvarado, and he seems like a nice guy. But he's talking about Captain America and the Hulk, and there's ways that, uh, you know, that we have science now that we can figure out, you know, how to make somebody super strong. Well, part of it would be that we have these uh, genetic switches, epigenetic switches, it's called. And so what happens is that some genes uh, would get, like, turned on, get expressed, and change. 
So you, if if your gene for, I don't know, I don't know if it's too late to get green eyes or something like that. But if your gene yeah. for green eyes gets expressed, like it gets switched on, then your eyes could turn green. Cool. Now, the, the idea is that the epigenetic switches mean you could turn it on and turn it off. Hmm. Because then the Hulk could, you know, the Hulk can rise to the occasion, turn into the yeah. walk, turn into a walking bruise, and then <laughs> uh, and and then turned off, turned back into Bruce Banner, and so these switches are what would cause that. And you know, it's an interesting thing. Also, is that they were looking at uh, a certain kind of cow. Now, this cow is called the Belgian Blue. And in 2012, they discovered that the Belgian blue lacks a gene that inhibits muscle growth. Kind of like I did, which is why my, my pipes are so huge. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the Belgian blue lacks this gene that all the other creatures have where it says like, okay, your, your muscle growth only goes so far. So what they did was they were experimenting in mice and they were able to replicate that loss of that gene or, you know, or taking away that gene in mice and it made the mouse four times as big as a regular Whoa, mouse. Whoa, it worked. Yeah, yeah, it worked and it made a monster mouse. Okay, huh. so could they do that to us? Well, I don't know. Why not? Well, that's that's the thing. They could do that to people, the humans and they could you could make somebody like the Hulk or Captain America who was super strong. Now, here's a fun thing. When I, I was looking up different kinds of military-created superheroes, and I'd never heard this story before. Uh, but this goes back to the early part of the 20th century. Stalin, in the 1920s, Joseph Stalin we're talking about. We just talked about him last week with Winston Churchill. But uh, Stalin wanted to rebuild the Russian army after the First World War. And... He wanted to create human-ape hybrids to populate that army. <laughs> Wizard of Oz. Yeah, totally. Um, and you know, now Stalin was a big Darwinian. I mean, he was an atheist and stuff like that. So he's loved lo- evolution, Charles Darwin. I mean, this is one of... Do we know that this is true, that he actually said this? No, we don't know that Stalin actually said this. But here's what they said. I want a new invincible human being, insensitive to pain, resistant and indifferent about the quality of food they eat. Okay. So why would people think Joseph Stalin said this? Because there was a guy named Ilya Ivanov, and he was a, a Russian scientist who was really interested in creating a hybrid of humans and chimpanzees. And somebody gave him $10,000 to try to create that. Now, who would have given, I mean, where could he have gotten that money from? Plus, like, if he could do that with $10,000, like, right. that is a bargain, well, This is 19, bargain scientist. This is like 1920s money, though. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> still. <laughs> right. So that $10,000 was like, it's like a million dollars today. Uh, okay. But still. And he also, so he went to like French New Guinea and, um, I'm sorry, he went to French Guinea, not French, New Guinea. French Guinea's in Western Africa. New Guinea's obviously on the other side of the planet. Um, so he goes to French Guinea and he actually tries to artificially inseminate some African women with chimpanzee, you know, chimpanzee seed, the building blocks of life. 
This is for science. This is for science of artificial insemination. Um, I mean, and of course, people are like, this is crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, but he, him and his son, they went out in the 1920s. Uh, local hunters kidnapped chimpanzees and brought them to Ivanov when he came. And then he, uh, well... He, he tried to do that. And obviously not, it failed horribly because even though chimpanzees and humans share, you know, 96, 97% DNA or something like that, they still aren't, we still can't interbreed with chimps. Right. Um, but this guy thought they could. And so the story is that Stalin tried to make half man, half ape soldiers in the 1920s before the Second World War. And Ilya Ivanov was his particular... Uh, <laughs> geneticist Stalin's geneticist to do that now he dies a few years later and people kind of disavowed this research afterwards because it's disgusting because yeah. he's like I only have so much money let's grab some monkey juice and Seriously. put it in the women and this is disgusting and we think sometimes that the military wastes our money <laughs> now imagine if you're a Soviet taxpayer oh. you're paying exorbitant rates in the 1920s yeah, not cool. Right, and it's going to some dude, the artificial, the monkey artificial inseminator. But that's not the only time, obviously, the military has tried to do superhuman things to their soldiers. The latest thing, actually, uh, that they've been doing, and this one I think is, is pretty interesting, and it, it it's less science fiction, and it's more of um, something that we've discussed before, mindfulness. Mm, yeah. Now, People have all these crazy claims about what the monks in the Himalayas can do, like the Buddhist monks in the Himalayas. You know, we talked about tulpas before, the idea that monks were able to create thought forms, um, you know, through their through their spiritual practice. They were able to create thought forms who would do their housework for them. So you create a thought, thought form that would do your laundry, like your monk laundry. Okay, that was one of the stories. Another story is uh, these college professors came back from this from this Michigan and they actually said that monks just using their body heat were able to dry cold, wet towels just by concentrating and meditating. They were able to raise their body temperature so much that they were able to dry towels. That's awesome. Right. And it's funny that they're using all their mind control stuff for like household things. Like you can create a thought <laughs> chores. Form. You can create a thought form to do your chores. You, can, it's uh, like, oh my god, I can take out the garbage. I have this incredible power in my mind, and I'm using it as to make myself a human dryer. <laughs> well, it's a fairly simple task, so you have to start somewhere, right? You do. You do have to start somewhere. But the thing is, so the military just did research. Uh, when they were trying to use mindfulness to see a soldier, it could improve the performance of soldiers. And so they were giving them training before deployment where they were just taught about uh, like mindfulness meditation techniques over an eight-week period to see that once they got into like a situation with a counterinsurgency or a patrol uh, or they were ambushed, that they could handle it better. And what the research shows is that the people who had done this uh, mindfulness techniques, actually when they were in a very stressful challenge, when they, they got into these stress challenges, their rate of recovery was significantly faster. They were able to get their breathing rate back to normal much faster, their heart rate back to normal much faster. They were able to uh, keep it a lot cooler than people who hadn't received mindfulness training. 
So something there. Yes. While it may not be, um, you know, mind control or knowing where the Soviet missiles are hidden or something like that, it there is research that does show that using some of these techniques, and that would be you talk about the Himalayas and talk about monks. That'd be a superhero like Doctor Strange who uses magic and he learned it from this, you know, Himalayan monk in the 1960s, uh, how he learned the ways of magic and mind power. Um, well, it actually does work. It does work to control your stress and things like that in uh, real life situations. So I just thought that was a neat thing. And I think when you're talking about jetpacks, radiation, um, men, uh, you know, trying to breed humans and chimps uh, like a weird Dr. Moreau. It's nice that something actually might work. Yeah, that is really cool. Yeah. Fun to think of, even if they're like on a much smaller scale (laughs) than the movie hero types. It's still something and it's neat to think of, you know, humans having powers beyond what we're used to in our everyday lives. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think with the superheroes, a lot of what they can do for us in a scientific level. And this is the same thing with Star Trek uh, that they always talk about. I mean, because basically, what do we have in our hands all the time? We have Star Trek communicators. Right. In our hands, we have, you know, when you, and you talk in a series, like talking to the computer, computer. And now uh, you have the watches. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yep. on your wrist, kind of like they had their little buttons on their shirts. Yeah, the ding, ding. Which I, I, I still can't understand why somebody, nobody made a Bluetooth Star Trek communicator, like speaker and... Uh, so what, if you were in your Star Trek uniform out to a party or whatever, you could actually call people. Have you uh, looked? Because I bet there is such a I, thing. There probably is. I haven't looked. <laughs> I'm uh, just throwing it out there. Cause. I just assumed if it was out there, I would have seen it. So you're right. It might All be right. a Bluetooth Star Trek thing. I guess I know what I'm going to be shopping for for Christmas. <laughs> right. Who doesn't want one of those? Um, but the thing is, it, it inspires us. Right. You know, it, it definitely inspires us. And so when we're talking about... It can inspire us to create technology. It can inspire us to be better people. And so that kind of superhero work can do that. Now, talking about superhero inspiration, one of our friends is just releasing the third book in a superhero trilogy. Yeah, uh, that's so awesome. It is awesome. And so here's a little conversation we had with author Jennifer Reinfried about her latest book, Grim Vengeance. And coming to join us to talk a little bit about superheroes is a fellow Madisonian and a fellow bass player. And we'd like to welcome the author, Jen Reinfried, to see you on the other side. How are you doing tonight, Jen? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Sure. And we want to talk a little bit about your upcoming novel release, and that's coming right up. And this one is going to be Grim Vengeance is the name of it? Yes. Yeah, it is the final installment. Okay. And so let's get everybody up to speed here. Number one, what is the Grimm trilogy about? It is uh, basically a superhero crime thriller told from the viewpoint of the villains. So uh, all the points of view in the entire series are from the bad guy's perspective. And there's more than one, of course. <laughs> okay. So the bad guy's perspective. So you're not mm-hmm. getting like in the head of the superhero. You're getting in the head of the person that the superhero is hunting. For the most part, yes. We do okay. get in the head of the superhero because he is, has some questionable morals. So okay. technically that makes him 
not good. Well, I, I love people with questionable morals. <laughs> so let's describe the superhero, because a lot of this episode, we've been talking about uh, different superheroes and their powers and how they can relate to science fiction or how they got their powers and, and how they can relate to perhaps real, you know, the science of superheroes. So let's describe your superhero uh, that you use in the Grimm trilogy. Okay. So his name is Grimm, and he is, well, he's got super strength, nothing too too big you know and uh, he's not like overpowered or anything he's you know like excelled speed and um something that's kind of unique about him is he's he's been legally blind since birth or so he thinks and he and his brother jackson had found a way to bypass that when he's wearing his mask so he can see but only when he's grim Okay, so how did he take the name Grimm? Um, that, honestly, I believe has to do with his, his creation. So the short story prequel called Grimm Inception uh, kind of details the origin of the superhero. Um, it, basically, his brother's fiance gets gunned down by um, the crime boss, in the mm. city that they live in, and now, did you take did you take a real city, or did you base it nope. on, uh, you know, is it like is it like a metropolis kind of place? <laughs> yep, I actually started it out at, in Portland, Oregon, and then I was kind of going along, everything was fine, and someone goes, you know, the TV show Grimm is set in Portland. What inspired you specifically about about the superhero genre? Like usually we think of superheroes, we think of comic books. We don't necessarily think of. I mean, now we think of movies because every everything is a superhero <laughs> movie now. Um, mm-hmm. But what made you inspired you to write about a superhero in a in a novel form? Well, one I can't draw, <laughs> so I was watching Daredevil on Netflix, and I. I love Batman as well, and I kind of always get into that, well, why can't they just kill the bad guys and save everyone the hassle and well, the risk of them getting out and killing more people? Right. So that's what Grimm does. <clears throat> and it kind of, the story, among other things, explores what that does to him and what that does to the people in his life that care about him. So he's a, a superhero or a, a masked vigilante, maybe. That, mm-hmm. That's okay with killing people. Yes. But now I've just been watching The Punisher, and I, I love mm-hmm. it. And I've, I've seen that's all the, awesome. I've, I've seen all the Punisher movies. But The Punisher is a character that uh, he doesn't have any superpowers, except like his, right. po- his power of hatred. He's got a superpower <laughs> that he hates people. Versus someone like Daredevil, who's got the super hearing and all that kind of stuff. Was Grimm created to be an assassin kind of character, or did he get these superpowers? Yes. And it's like, you know what? Let's start killing people. <laughs> no, he. Um, it is revealed in book two his his history, which yes, he did. He was created, and um, the universe, the Grimm universe, is basically a place where oh, sixty to seventy people are born with what are called evolved powers Mm -hmm. they're just born with them but they're nothing big they're nothing well most of them aren't big they're called evos um and this lab this government lab thought you know why can't we better them so they would take the dna from the evos and created synthetic humans which are the synths sean is a synth and in book two and we run into a lot more synths too as he goes on his journey. Okay, so so the Grimm universe is one where 
these characters are being, you know, genetically manipulated. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man comes from the whole, like the radiation, the Hulk, the idea that radiation makes people super powered or like mm-hmm. instead of mm-hmm. mutating with like a third eye or whatever, they, <laughs> they get awesome powers, which, you know, yeah. In real life, radiation just kills you. It would not happen, yeah. Oh my God, I get the awesome powers of the spider. Not, oh my God, my face is actually melting off. So in in the Grimm universe then, it's more Mm -hmm. of uh, genetic manipulation uh, by corporations or the government or other kind of nefarious life-altering forces. Yes, and I tried to make sure that all of the synths uh, that were created had powers that would make sense to fight in wars. Okay. So nothing super crazy, nothing weird, but, you know, we've got a mind reader who could be a really good spy. We've got, you know, Sean, who would be more on the front line, who he's, you know, he has fast healing, he's fast, he's strong, stuff like that. Did you look at any of the uh, programs that maybe the U.S. government or the Soviet government used to run during the Cold War when they were looking for psychics? or, you know, looking for people with advanced abilities. Did you do any research like that when you're working on the book? Sort of. Um, I know I don't want to give too much away. Well, you don't have, you don't, um, you don't have to get the major plot points away. We'll, we'll, <laughs> well, of course, we'll plug the, plug the novel. <laughs> um, yeah, there is one um, that's inspired directly from stuff like that who ends up being the main uh, antagonist. Okay. Who has, he's got some pretty crazy powers that kind of rival what they were looking for. And when you were working on uh, the Grimm character, are there any particular comic book characters or superheroes or even just, you know, people in works of fiction or characters in, in fiction? You know, you took, you saw, you're like, you know, I I see this person in my head or I see this character in my mm-hmm. head, like in my universe, and I'm trying taking bits and pieces of these these characters. Any, any ones in particular? Yes. Um, well, for Sean, um, who is Grimm, that's not a spoiler, by the way. Okay. Um, he, in my mind, was always Charlie Cox, Daredevil. The character is blind, too. He can see, like, you know, legally blind, so he's not, it's not all blackness. It's, he can see shapes and movement. He just can't see enough to, you know, walk. And if you guys haven't seen Daredevil, first of all, see it. It's on Netflix and everybody has Netflix. Definitely. Or everybody has, like, a, like, their sister has a password or something, <laughs> so you can't see Netflix. The superhero of Daredevil has, uh, like, mutated hearing and s- senses and smell because he got caught, like, in a vat of some kind of weird... Radioactive stuff. Radioactive stuff. <laughs> when he was a kid, there was a going into the grim world then. So this this Sean <laughs> character, does he have, like, a... Is the secret identity? You know, is he, like, a reporter, like Peter Parker or Clark yeah. Kent? Or, you know, it's the secret identity. Does he work at, like, a, like a help desk? <laughs> well, his secret identity is he's just a blind guy that no one would suspect to go out and kick their butts. The book takes place in the United States. Yes. So, okay, it's in the U.S. It's still in Oregon. I just changed. I made a city up. What's the name of the, what's the city you made up? Redboro. Redboro. All right, that sounds mm-hmm. nice. People ask me, why didn't I put it in Madison? I'm like, there's no there's no way a superhero could jump building to building here. Right, the and this is the thing for people who don't live in Madison uh, or haven't been to Madison, Wisconsin. We cannot have buildings taller than the Capitol. And the Capitol's pretty big. It's, if, you've been, um, if you guys have been to the Capitol in Washington, D.C., it's approximately the same size. It's kind of built to imitate that. We cannot have buildings taller than the Capitol. So if a superhero would leap from building to building or have like a chase across the top of a building, it'd all be pretty short buildings. 
So it wouldn't be a very fun chase. You know, so that's actually that's an interesting thing. So you have to set it in a different city. Number one, because of the buildings, and number two, we just don't have enough people killing people here. No, uh, to worry about it. Okay, so but in Redboro, what kind of criminals are there in in this particular place? There's um, a huge organized crime, like underground crime business going on, run by uh, Ivan Vance and his right hand man, Weston Alexander. Weston and Alexander, that sounds good. Now, <laughs> Ivan Vance, is he like a Russian mafia type? He is a Ru- yes, okay, yes. Okay, well, Ivan, that was, gives it away. <laughs> that was really fun to write because I had to learn a lot of Russian words, um, or at least how to spell them. And then I would read out loud to myself. You do that a lot so you can make sure the flow of sentences works. But you know, I'd be yelling in Russian and my husband would just be like, I'm used to that now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He tends to stay in the shadows and lets uh, Weston, who does not like being called Weston, you have to call him Alex. I don't think anybody named Weston likes to be called Weston. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yeah, he he goes and does, does his dirty work for him. Do any of the criminals have enhanced abilities? They do. So what's your favorite one? What was it? What was the most? Because some people say it's more fun writing villains than it's heroes. Sometimes. Oh, it is. Yeah. So when you're doing that, what was your particular favorite uh, supervillain to write, which gave you the, which, which do you think was the most fun? Honestly, I really enjoyed writing Alex, who is, uh, he is an Evo. Um, okay. He, you will go through book one, not knowing what he, that he is an Evo, but it's not that big of a deal if you guys know um, that he cannot feel pain. And uh, he is one of the evils that their DNA was taken to make some synthetic humans along with um, others. So his, his was fun to write because he was just so pretentious and so manipulative at mm-hmm. the same time. And it was really kind of cool to get inside his head and try to change him and then fail. Sure. <laughs> So that was that was entertaining to see unfold. Um, Emma, who is the main character, um, she is a part of the underground crime business, and she attempts several times to try to make him see reason, and just failing and seeing how Alex is unable to cope with being something that he's not or that he has been raised to not be, um, which is a vicious killer um it's just pretty pretty cool to watch and write about sure now when you were looking at like so we're talking about evos and synths and mm-hmm. you know these characters so an evo is somebody like a, a mutant let's say an x mm-hmm. style mutant that has different yes. you know dna okay yeah it's like a mini mutant so like nothing huge no big mind reader things but right. you know you can't little. like fly and control the weather right. like storm or whatever okay. all right mm-hmm. but so you take them, and then they take their DNA, and they put them into synthetic humans. And synthetic, the synths are created by the government or yes. military. or Yes, they are born to surrogate mothers. They, the DNA is tweaked from the Evos and mixed up all together and smushed into a female, and then she gives birth to the synthetic human. And so did you have any particular characters who maybe were your point-of-view character? Like, you know, the, the character you related to... I mean, you said that Weston uh, mm-hmm. might have been the most fun to write because you know he yeah. he was the you know probably one of the most uh, probably one of the characters that you know you can go the furthest with because of you know you can always go really far with uh, especially henchmen. 
Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But did you have any characters where you're like, okay, this person is really delineating my point of view here, or <laughs> I have this character that represents actually what I think or what I believe? Yes. Um, one that is completely opposite of me is Charlie. He is, oh, he is not a nice person. He makes Alex look like a teddy bear. And Al- he is, Alex, um, Alex is West and the henchman. And so is yeah. Charlie another henchman or he's a different no. super villain? Charlie's, he's a synth. He's a synthetic gone wrong. Um, and he has a power that seems like it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Um, his power is that he, if he touches you, he can mimic your power. I but only know, when he's touching you. Oh, yeah, true. That, but. that seems like a huge deal. Cause let's, okay, so let's <laughs> say that you can, he can mimic your power and he touches, uh, you know, he touches Cyclops. And he's, mm-hmm. he touches Cyclops and just looks at you and you're toast. Or yes, let's say exactly. or, he t- or he touches the Phoenix or, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just trying to, you know, trying to think. If he touches Superman, I mean, he can do whatever he wants. But if he touches like one of the, like somebody boring. Yes. Yeah. Well, and he's got himself convinced that his power is pointless and he wants to better it. And he actually spends a lot of his adult life hunting down Evos and killing them using their own powers. Um, the ones he likes, he will keep their DNA in a blood little blood capsule. He'll keep them alive. So he's like a serial killer, like crazy person who keeps, you know, Evo pets and uses their blood because he only really needs to be in contact with their DNA for Ah, it to work. Okay. So he can take their blood, keep them somewhere, use like use their blood and use their power. Um, of course, the blood will wear off, so that's why he needs to keep some alive. Most he is just offing because he feels that the whole synthetic experiment was, you know, a really awful way to have a childhood, and he doesn't want that more sense to be created. So he's got it in his mind that he can wipe out the Evos, or at least attempt to. Now you you said he is the opposite of you. So did you have a particular kind of? Was there a, a speech or what viewpoint or whatever did he, you know, did you need to express through him that you were like, now I'm expressing something that I completely think? I mean, besides the fact that he's a, you know, a, a serial psycho or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, he thinks he was, everything happens for a reason. He thinks that he survived. So back when they were, the synthetics were all children, there was a, an accident at the lab and only a lot of people died, including a lot of the kids. And some of them got out like Sean and Charlie. And he spends his time growing up thinking, you know, that everything he survived for a reason that he runs into these evos for a reason that he has his, that specific power for a reason. So he can actually use it for bad and I would, yeah, I would not do that. <laughs> sure. I mean, I know he had a really bad childhood, but I mean, at the same time, you you can do what Sean is doing and use it for sort of good. I guess Sean's not 100% good, but. Well, he's still often people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's still a killer, even if he's you know, yeah. a super, yep. a super nice killer or whatever. Only kills, <laughs> only kill bad. That's a, like in True Lies or whatever, when. Jamie Lee Curtis is talking to Arnold Schwarzenegger and she's like, you kill people? He's like, yeah, but they were all bad. And you're like, well, okay, Arnold. Well, I mean, it's yeah, Arnold, so we have, a good, we have a good laugh about it. <laughs> so, you know, when I think about science fiction authors, um, 
fantasy authors, people who get into, into comic books and things like that. Um, what inspired you from a young age to get into uh, you know, this kind of stuff? Was there a particular the book or movie or something that you really took to heart um, yes. that made you want to get out there in this way? Yes. Um, growing up, I read a lot and I was more of a, um, actual a horror fan. So a lot of Stephen King, Dean Koontz. You're really into horror stuff as a young age. And you know, a lot of the different horror authors, um, that we've talked to, uh, over the past couple of years, a lot of them have had like weird experiences or paranormal experiences in their own life that have occurred to them that also got them even further, you know, down the road and then wanting to express these things and using those experiences in their own life, uh, in their work. Have you had anything like that? I have not. My life is boring. I wish it would happen. Okay. <laughs> like this is my, this is me. Why hasn't this happened? Now I have to write about it kind of thing. <laughs> All right. No, that, that's fair enough. I just, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you want to check on that because uh, sometimes people will take stories that they were involved in themselves or stories mm-hmm. from their town or things, you know, things that, uh, that happened in their city. Um, yes. And they will, they will use that a little bit. And have, have you done anything like that with a story that happened? Um, has there been any of the, like, that you took bits and pieces of real stories and, and stuck them into Grimm? Um, there's a lot of, a lot of the stuff that has happened in Grimm, ha- like some of the themes I've dealt with in my own life. Um, like, like killing people? No, <laughs> not that. Not I really, that. I really, cause I still, <laughs> every time I drive, every time I drive, I struggle not to kill people. Like, I'm like, I want to no, run no. you over. Like you know, people who ride bicycles in Madison are asking for it. Oh, God, they're awful. <sighs> I know. No, no, I have not. Regardless of what my browser history says, I have not killed anybody. <laughs> All right, fair enough. That's just research for your book, of course. Yeah, okay. I promise. So but what kind of themes have you dealt with in your own life that then now you can uh, you know, pursue or at least uh, examine in your work? Okay, you ready to get heavy? I'm always ready to get heavy. Okay, so <laughs> there are more than once there's tones of abusive relationships in the series. Um, Emma has to deal with it. Um, later on, there's uh, an evil called Chelsea who has to deal with it. Uh, Charlie's part of it, you know, cause Charlie's an awful person. So right, he's the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, I take a lot of, um, one of my biggest, uh, heroes is my dad and he, his morals and things he would say to me as a kid, I have put into the books, um, in the form of Bruce and Duncan, who are father figures. So it's, yeah, it's like a lot of parts of my life um, that I can just relate to, that I have put into the, to the writing. And not just the Grimm, but all of my, all of my books. So the new one comes out when? Uh, this coming Saturday, so December 2nd, 2017. So it comes out December 2nd. So then you can pick up the whole, the whole Grimm whole trilogy uh, at mm-hmm. once, and you can just start barreling your way through it. And if, oh, you, yeah. if you wanted to do that, where's the place you can go do that? So if you go, if you're in Madison, you go to Funk's Pub, which is off PD and Seminole. Uh, it starts at 6, and I say be there right at 6 because at 6.15-ish, there is a crazy choreographed performance. I have um, gotten together a whole bunch of people that look just like my book characters, and they will be doing this performance. Um, so I try to make all my releases super unique. Sure. 
Um, so now after the performance, after the lip sync performance, then some of the book characters are going to perform some really exciting, well-known songs in a band that they created just for the Grimm books. So make sure you check that out. If you're in Madison, obviously go to Funk's Pub on Saturday night before you go to the Sunspot show uh, that night. Mm-hmm. Most of our population who listens to See You on the Other Side is not from town. So you guys out there, uh, where can they pick up the Grimm Challenge? Well, there's two options for you. You can get them on Amazon and they are all 99 cents. And you can get them on like in the digital format, which most people are like, oh, I don't have a Kindle. Well, you don't need a Kindle to read it on the Kindle app. You can use it on your phone or a computer or a, an, a tablet. Yeah, whatever e- everything you can read the Kindle app. So mm-hmm. I buy everything. So that's there. I don't have a Kindle and I still buy everything. Right yeah. However, if you do want a signed copy, I have them on my website, which is agrimtrilogy.com, and click buy the books. I sign them for you and ship them out. All those links will be in the show notes for this episode. And uh, so just click on the link to Jen's website, uh, agrimtrilogy.com, in the show notes, and you can check out the book for yourself. Jen, thank you for joining us today. Yes, thank you so much. Okay, so make sure you check the show notes for a link to that book. And thanks again. Good luck with the book, Jen. We hope it goes great. Awesome. Congrats. Now, one of the things that we were talking about before is how much we hate when people decide to overpower their characters and just uh, they ruin the endings of their shows and ruin the endings of the stories by just all of a sudden somebody shows up and saves the day. Some power (sighs) shows up and saves the day. And the Greeks used to do that all the time in their plays. Like that was that was their thing. Is that in the end of the, the play, like they're never gonna get this resolved. So the only way it gets resolved is that one of the Greek gods shows up and just says, You know what? I'm taking care of it, and then just takes care of the problem. <laughs> so the Greeks had a whole system for this where they would lower the god onto the stage, like using a machine, like pulleys and stuff. So it's pretty pretty fun. And uh, it'd be the god from the machine, which in Greek is Deus Ex Machina. There's also a popular video game series from the early part of the 21st century, and I still think they have some of the. I think the games are still around. I'm not a gamer, so I can't. I can't tell you. Um, but I played the original when it came out, like 15, 16 years ago, called Deus Ex, and it was about augmented humans, kind of like Sweet. the superheroes we were talking about today, kind of like the characters in Jen's novel. And uh, Sunspot also uh, has a song called Deus Ex Machina, where we very literally take the idea of the god from the machine and uploading ourselves into the machine. So we thought with a a discussion about superheroes and their storytelling and augmented humans that uh, Deus Ex Machina would be the perfect song for this episode. And here we go.
Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Well, we kind of have our own little league of superheroes, Mike. I think so, too. It's like we have a personal justice league. Yeah, and that's the members of the Sunspot and See You on the Other Side Patreon community. I love those people. (laughs) I love them, too. And we would love to thank each and every one of you for your support and for being part of one of our favorite places to hang out in the community. That's right. And we particularly like to thank... I know this sounds like a super villain name, but he's actually a very, he's, he's like the Bruce Wayne benefactor uh, of our institution, Dr. Ned. The good guy. Yes. So uh, thanks to Dr. Ned. He's at the level where we make sure to give him a shout out every single week. And we'd love to make sure you guys get a shout out every single week by checking yes. out the See You on the Other Side Patreon. And that's at othersidepodcast.com slash donate. And this week, we've got our live Google Hangout mic. So members, check the Patreon and all the details will be there. And we look forward to catching up with you, hearing how your Thanksgiving was. Yeah. And if you guys want to join up, please do. And uh, join up before Thursday and then join us for the Hangout. Yeah, but they were all bad.